0: But when we get ready, we are going to, we're going to stand and say the creed together. I mean, we took 18 weeks to study the creed. We never actually said it. it. seemed like Easter would be a good day to do that. So when it gets time, we're going to start with the creed. We're going to stand and say that. And then after we say the creed, we're going to turn the sheet over and we're going to sing this very familiar Wesley hymn. Um, but we're... We're going to sing a verse that you're probably not familiar with. Wesley wrote a lot of verses. A lot of them we don't sing. So we're going to sing, as you'll see there, one, two, three, those will be familiar. Verse five, you've probably not sung before. But it seemed like a good thing to sing for today. So we're just mixing it up a little bit today. I hope that's okay. Right? It's Easter. New things happen on Easter. Also, one thing. Uh, Notice at the bottom of the the hymn, it says, Alleluia, Hallelujah." Um, we're going to talk briefly about that just because it's one of those things you say all the time and it's easy to forget like what you're saying. Um, hallelujah is a loan word. Do you know what a loan word is? It's a word that just comes directly from another language. Right? And that's a Hebrew word, it's a compound word. And if Jason were here, he could do this right. But I'll just pretend like he's not here.
1: No doubt. Yeah.
0: Um, it's a compound word, uh, and part of it is it's not only a compound word, it's kind of like it's onomatopoeia. You know what an onomatopoeia is? It's a word that sounds like it, like quack.
1: <laughs>
0: like for a duck, right? Uh, that's an onomatopoeia. Well, hallelujah, the first part. Hallelelel. How do you say it, Jason? Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah! And if you're if you've been certain places in the world, like when they get really wound up, then they'll, they'll do this Hallelujah. kind of undulation. I can't do it. Can you do it, Jason? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad i are not the only one that can't do it. But I have heard people do it, right? And the crazy thing is, it's so the thing to remember is it's the word itself, and, and the Yah part, right, is short is a shortened form of Yahweh. Right? Which is, we translate as Lord. So, it's not just, it is an admonition. If you want to translate it, hallelujah can mean praise ye the Lord. Like praise all you people the Lord. But itself is a form of praise. So it sort of does both things. Um, because if you're in that kind of culture where you would do this kind of undulation, this hallelujah like you're really you getting a little excited. More than, more than Methodists would get excited. Um, but just so you know. Um, and then Alleluia is just a Latinized version of that. So it's the same word. It's just Latinized. Um, and so I just wanted you to know, Like, and there are traditions in the church, not the Methodists necessarily, but there are traditions in the church that during the, the season of Lent, you don't say hallelujah. Okay, it's one of the things you don't that you refuse yourself, and then on Easter morning, after not having said it for 40 days ever in the gathered worship, you belt out the hallelujahs. right? Because uh, we have plenty of reasons to offer our praise today. So I wanted you to know that when you sing this very familiar song, you can just kind of go into auto drive, uh, autopilot, and kind of forget what you're doing. Um, so I just wanted you to do that. Okay, so we good on that? So think about that when you're singing the Wesley hymn. But right now we're going to, so here's we're going to do. It, we're going to stand. We're going to say the creed. We're going to sing the psalm. And then Boyce is going to give us our, our morning prayer. So the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth.
2: seated let us pray Lord what a day this is that over 2,000 years ago you gave up your only son so that we sinners could have our sins forgiven and we give have the promise of eternal life what a sacrifice and a gift that you gave us on this very day let us always remember your prevenient grace and that all we have to do is accept love from you. Today many are hurting and suffering and we ask that you comfort them and continue to be with them until your will be done. Please be with those who are alone and lonesome today especially our service members and law enforcement. Be with all the families represented here today and keep us safe and healthy Give travel mercies for those who are traveling. Today, give Phil the peace and the words we need to hear today about your songs. We're blessed to be able to hear him each week and have him given the gift to be able to discern your words and put them into words even we can understand. We ask this in the name of your risen Son. Amen.
0: Christ is risen. He is, he is risen.
1: risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah yeah. <laughs> <clears throat>
0: Thank you for letting us mix it up just a little bit this morning. You handle that really well.
1: <laughs>
0: You're not easily shaken. It's good. During Lent, we have been looking at some psalms of lament. Um, For several weeks, we looked at uh, some of the lament psalms that have traditionally in the church been called the penitential psalms, psalms that were uh, particularly appropriate uh, for coming before God and lamenting uh, our sinfulness, our waywardness. Uh, Last week, uh, we looked at what is arguably the most familiar of the Lament Psalms, um, Psalm 22. Uh, We looked at the first part of that. Um, It's primarily familiar to Christians because the opening words of Psalm 22, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, Obviously are the words of Jesus on the cross. Um, Today we said we would finish this psalm um, as a kind of different way of uh, looking at uh, Easter uh, through the, the lens of the, the Psalms, the Lament Psalms. Uh, one of the things we said about the Lament Psalms is uh, in, in every case uh, but one or two, um, the Lament Psalms begin with this um, very raw um, appeal uh, very often to God about uh, a kind of complaint a a kind of uh, sometimes in psalm 22 a kind of uh, accusatory of words right my god my god why have you forsaken me um and we said although many of us might have thought that um, most of us might have been hesitant to say it and we were trying to remind ourselves during the lent this this great gift that we have in the psalter uh, this kind of permission-giving, that uh, in the canon of Holy Scripture, we have these human words uh, to God, uh, which are very raw, and some, not rawer than anything you've ever felt, maybe just rawer than anything you felt you had permission to pray to God. And this is the great gift we have in this altar, and, and I want us to be reminded of that because um, just as you no doubt had times in your life, just as I had in mine, um, when, I, when I needed these words, and I may or may not have had them, or may not have known that I was um, permitted to use them, uh, you will no doubt need them again. And the church will no doubt need them again. And I hope maybe when we do, uh, that maybe we'll be a little less hesitant uh, to reach for these words and maybe a little less uh, hesitant to utter them, um, knowing that God certainly knows how we feel and God's certainly um, willing, because God's in relationship with us, um, as we said, in any, any healthy relationship, um, people can say what needs to be said. Right? Even if it's really hard. Uh, mm-hmm. People have permission to be honest. Um, those are, those honest words in the Lament Psalms, importantly enough, are, with one exception, never the last words. Uh, but they are the, usually the very honest opening words. And I don't know about you, but maybe, maybe you've had, I bet you have, because you're the kind of folks in my experience, who, um, when needed, can be frank. Right? Did I say that politely? Yeah. That's a good thing. Being frank is a good thing. Um, but if you're, like, if you're like me, in those kind of situations where you've needed to be frank, I hope those weren't the last words. Right, I mean, there are, th- there are times when things have to be said honestly. because I mean, And sometimes all you can say is, look, I just need you to know how I feel. That's an opening to a conversation. It's not the end of the conversation. But it, it is an important opening to the conversation. I need you to know how I'm feeling right now. And I just have to lay it out there. And surely if we see the need of that with each other, in any kind of healthy relationship, then surely, with the Psalms as our guide, we can do this with God. We can just say, you know, this is how I'm feeling right now. Um, Even to the point of utter abandonment of God, that God is absent, silent, nowhere to be found. And yet to utter that to God, as we said last week, is still an act of faithfulness to the relationship. Because you're uttering those to God. To say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is to address God. It's presumably assuming that God might hear that. And so, today we want to look, we want to remind ourselves, for those particularly who weren't here, but those who were, it's still is powerful. This this is one of the most comprehensive in, in scope of any of the Psalms, um, because it really does capture uh, a huge part of the human experience. And I think that may be why uh, both Jesus and the early church read Jesus's last hours through this Psalm. And I think there's a lot here, not just for Holy Week as far as the Crucifixion and Jesus' abandonment on the cross, but also what comes after and what we celebrate today. So, just to remind you very briefly, you know, in those opening first 19, 20 verses or so of Psalm 22, not only does the Psalter cry out to God, like, Why have you abandoned me? Right? Why have you forsaken me? Um, why have you not? answered me. Uh, Why are you not helping me? Um, And you remember that the psalter goes on, the psalmist goes on to to recall um, the ways in which God had actually been faithful to Israel. It's like you are our people, like where are you? And, um, And then goes on to say but I don't even feel like a human being. Feel like I feel like a worm um, that's pretty low I mean that metaphor like that's that's a low metaphor uh, you're a worm um, that's pretty low right um, I don't know on the great chain of being where worms come but it's, it's certainly pretty far below human right to feel like you're a worm um, and then part of the complaint is is not just that God seems to have abandoned um, the psalmist but that other people are are mocking the psalmist for for even trusting in God and and we see a sort of echo of this in Jesus on the cross right, the people are like where's your God now Um, where's that God that's going to save you um, and, and, the, and, the, and the way that, that makes it even more painful to have trusted in this God and then the psalmist goes on to say it wasn't even the, my ancient people who you were faithful to it was, it was you were faithful to me there was a time you were faithful to me you were like, you were like a midwife right, who took me from my mother's womb and placed me on her breast what a wonderful image that God is midwife right Um, I mean, you you were that intimate in my coming into the world. But now where are you? (laughs) Like, where where are you? Now I'm just attacked by everyone around me. And the words here are all these animals, that these people become like animals um, that are attacking um, bulls and lions. And they're The psalmist's bones are out of joint. He's poured out like water. Heart is like wax. Mouth is dry. Tongue sticks to the jaws. Laid in the dust of death. And yet, he still cries out in verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far away. Oh my help come quickly to my aid deliver my soul from the sword my life from the power of the dog save me from the mouth of the lion so there's the petition there's the and these are these are imperatives like do this do this do this please act and then the second half of verse 21 a strange shift takes place and depending on your translation um, it can be it may sound like something's already happened like the, N- the NRSV translates the second half of verse 21 after it says save me from the mouth of the lion from the horn, horns of the wild oxen you have rescued me sounds like it's already happened <laughs> right so so there's this petition, this this asking of these imperatives, do this, do this, make the train go away. <laughs> soon, <laughs> soon, please. May it pass. Um, now again, here I'm here I'm on uh, difficult ground because you know, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Well, what, from what I understood from Hebrew scholars who know a lot more than I do. Um, Hebrew doesn't reflect uh, tenses in the verbs in the same way that we do. Okay, and so most scholars think what what the psalmist is trying to do, it, the tense that this is in, means that something's a completed action. But that completed action can be in the past; it can be a, a present completed action, or it can be an anticipated completed action in the future. Is that close, Jason? Okay. (laughs) I rehearsed that sentence like for four days. (laughs) 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 Resurrection just happened. (laughs) So in other words, I mean what's what the, the psalmist is trying to convey here is that this confidence that God actually is going to answer. Almost like, may you have answered me from the horns of the wild ox. May, may you have done that. So it, it's almost projecting into the future, possibly. But the fact that it's, it's a completed action. Right. There's no question now about whether it will happen or not. Although it may not be clear like when it will happen. So it's a, there's no way to sort of translate that into a single sentence in English, because we just don't do that. But this sort of complicated thing is being communicated, so if it feels like there's a real break there, and in some of the some of your interpretations will actually be almost some white space in there, just to kind of tip you off that something different is going on in this next half a verse. And so the question is, like, what happened? Like, what has happened in the psalmist's experience that All this complaint, all of this desperation, all of this vocalizing of despair and abandonment, and yet now this firm conviction that God will act, that God has answered, or will answer, and can say it in such a way that it, you, you can put it in Hebrew in a way that's already completed. It's, it's already, in some sense, happened. Well, we don't, we don't know exactly what happened, any more than we don't know exactly what put the psalmist in this position to begin with. We don't know the setting, and, and part of the power of the psalms that we said all along, is that they, the, the metaphorical language is robust and rich enough for us to somehow feel and connect with what the psalmist is saying without having to know the absolute details. Um, because in some ways, if we knew that, it would make it more difficult for us to use them. Right. Um, so there's this, this, this uh, gentleness about the psalm, but there's also this absolutely concreteness in the, in the language. But what's important in the shift is now we see this incredible uh, change in what the psalmist wants to say. In light of this firm conviction that God has answered early on, it's like, why haven't you answered me? It's that very same language. Why haven't you answered me? And now it's that you have answered me somehow, or I'm convinced that you will answer me. And what's the result of that? It's this turn, it's this turn to praise, and it's a kind of turn to praise that's going to come in ever widening circles. So, what what does the psalmist say in verse twenty-two? Rather than reading the the whole rest of the psalm, these nine or ten verses, we'll just take them one at a time. I will tell you, I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. And this is addressed uh, to God. I, I, I will tell of your name, Yahweh. And we should note that, that but up in verse 19, but you, O Lord, o, but you, O Yahweh, do not be far away. At verse 19, that's the first time that the psalmist has invoked the peculiar name of, he, of the, the Jewish God before it wasn't. And so here this is turned, um, and, and part of what we wonder is, is, it, is this the reminder that it's this peculiar God and the, and the power in the name of this God that is partly uh, responsible because with this name is not just any generic G-O-D God that the psalmist is invoking that the psalmist is praying to. It's precisely right uh, the God of Abraham and and Jacob and Sarah and and, and Rachel. So I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. So my brothers and sisters, my nearest kins people, And then the rest of the congregation of Israel. And then there's this admonition, You who fear or revere the Lord, Yahweh, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. So here, this this very clear way of calling the rest of the children of Israel to... To join him in praise. And remember, before it was presumably some of these very same people who, who were mocking him, right? Uh, who were the ones who were despising him. And so, and, and he felt completely alienated, isolated from those people. It wasn't just that God had abandoned him but because God presumably had abandoned him everyone else scattered as well. And so it's interesting that now the psalmist is not just praising God but encouraging his kinfolk to praise God. Right? That somehow this will be something that they'll do together. So now he's being reintegrated into the community of those who give God praise. And why? in verse 24 because he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted he did not hide his face from him but heard him but heard when he cried to him again it picks up this language of despising early on in the passage he talked about verse 4 I am a worm, not a human, scorned by others and despised by the people. He comes back to that same language here in his praise, saying, but you, but you ultimately did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from him, but heard when he cried. So he, God heard. God heard. Even though it felt like God wasn't answering, God does ultimately answer. Then it goes further. From you, verse 25, from you comes my praise in the great congregation, my vows, my promises. Okay, I will keep before those who fear and revere him The weak and the poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord, Yahweh. May your hearts live forever. Then he goes a little wider still. Verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, Yahweh. All the ends of the earth shall remember. So notice now it's not even just Israel. Right, the fact that God has acted on behalf of this one who was sure that he was abandoned, he can he can say, you know, this this is gonna it's like this this ripple, right? It's like God's answer is this, this stone dropped in his life, and this ripple is gonna keep moving out. It's not it's not even just to Israel. It's To the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to this God, and all the families of the nations shall bow down before him, shall prostrate themselves before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord Yahweh, and he rules over the nations. To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down, before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and, the, and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. And so these ever-widening circles... Of this call to praise uh, goes not just out to the Solomon's kin's people or all of Israel, but then to the nations, uh, to those who are uh, dying, to those yet unborn, right? To those who haven't even been born yet. Future generations saying that God has answered. God has come to the assistance of the one who was sure that he was abandoned. It's a pretty credible scope here Uh, to go from the sense of utter abandonment to be sure that God's silence. God's refusal is what what the experience was. God's refusal to answer somehow lays the person at death's door. Because without God's help, one has no hope. To be brought from that to this powerful Song of praise that calls all people, all of Israel, all the nations, all those who have died or are at the point of death, all those who are not yet born to praise this God. It's hard to imagine a, a sweep of human experience much broader than that, honestly. And there's no sense that this happened in, you know, within the scope of 30 minutes, right? That's not how it works. We have no idea or how long this experience unfolds, but it's captured in this song for us to remind us of a number of things. Um, One, that on those days, and you have had them, I feel sure, and you will have them yet again, when, if you're honest, you feel abandoned by God. That it's okay to say that to God. Like, where are you? Where are you in this? I can't can't find you in this. I can't see you in this. Where are you at work? I can't see your hand. It's okay to say that. Um, Jesus said it, right? Jesus said that, and I don't think he was play acting. As we said last week, so we can say that to God. We can say, "This is how I feel." I can't tell where you're at work right now. Feels like you're silent. Feels like you're absent. But we keep saying that to God. And we do just say it to ourselves. We say it to God. But it also reminds us, I mean, this is, in some ways, this psalm sort of rehearses so much of Israel's history. Israel itself, at times, felt abandoned by God. In fact, if you read in Isaiah 54, um, God seems to admit so as much as, and it's understood as, as part of, their, uh, of God's wrath. Right? For a moment. Right? Listen to these words. This is this powerful imagery where God's talking about Israel as as a kind of spouse. For the Lord your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife, forsaken and grieved in spirit, like the wife of a man's youth when she is cast out, says God. For a brief moment, verse 7, for a brief moment I abandoned you. This is God speaking to Israel. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing wrath for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So in some ways, this is Israel's experience of at times feeling abandoned by God. And yet realizing that God's steadfast love was more enduring than any experience of abandonment that they had. And I think this is also why Jesus and the early church looked to this psalm through which to read the experience of cross and resurrection. on the other side of Good Friday which is where we are on the other side of resurrection we think we know what was going on on the cross but as we mentioned before the the early followers of Jesus didn't know didn't know how to make sense of what was going on they just didn't know they thought it was over. They thought all their hopes were crushed. They thought that Jesus was going to be a certain kind of Messiah and there's no plans for any crucified messiahs and anything that they had cooked up. All you had was another failed messiah. Another wannabe messiah. And Jesus... I mean, I would argue Jesus himself on the cross has to trust in the Father. Has to trust in the Father. And I believe Jesus is willing to take up these ancient words of Israel to say that Jesus enters into human life, as we said last week, to the very pit of despair that Jesus entered into human life fully, even to knowing what it feels like to be totally abandoned by God. But I also believe that Jesus and the early church leaned on this psalm, (coughs) partly because they also knew, without denying the sense of abandonment, without in any way minimizing or canceling that out. Here's one of those places you have to hold two things in, two things that are true at the same time. Without in any way minimizing that real sense of abandonment that Israel felt, that Jesus felt, that we feel. I think Jesus in the early church knew that in G- when Jesus evokes this psalm, his opening words of Psalm 22, Jesus is assuming that we, like any good Jewish child, would know the rest of the psalm. Would know that the psalm doesn't stop at verse 1 or verse 2. Now what comes after doesn't cancel out. right? God doesn't show up in some kind of amazing display, halfway through the psalm and say, Oh, don't worry, it just seemed like you were being abandoned, everything's fine. <laughs> no. Um, it's true, you can feel abandoned by God. You have, I feel almost sure. <laughs> and yet, that's not the end of the story. And what we celebrate today as we gather on this Easter is that Friday is not the end of the story either. When Jesus hung on the cross, he felt abandoned by God, but that was not the last word. That was not the last word. We would not be here this morning if that were the last word. No one would have followed Jesus if Jesus' words of abandonment had been the last word. The only reason we gathered is because God answered Jesus. God answered Jesus and lifted him, brought him into a different kind of a life, resurrected Jesus, And in doing so, make possible the life that we celebrate. And to which we give honor and praise. And not just us, and not just Christians. I mean, the call is not just for, for us to give praise, but to, to all the nations. To those who have died on the point of death. To those who are not yet born. Which is the image that you get in the book of Revelation, right? About this image that John has, right? The image that John has in in Revelation about seeing the throne and seeing the lamb that was slain. And who is it that's giving praise and honor and glory to this lion who is really a lamb that was slain the lion of Judah who is it this is revelation 7 verses 9 and after this i looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation all tribes and peoples languages standing before the throne and before the lamb robed in white with palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud saying Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So the Easter story, just like the history of Israel, just like the psalmist's history, reminds us that in human life there there is real despair. There can be intense feelings of abandonment by God. But this God... This God that we cry out to in our laments is a God who will not let us go. And the the drama we've rehearsed this week of Holy Week reminds us the length to which this God will go to claim us, reclaim us as God's very own. The great Church theologian St. Augustine, who lived in the uh, fourth and fifth centuries, um, is uh, attributed with saying about 1,600 years ago, uh, to the church, saying that he said of the church says, we, we are Easter people, and hallelujah is our song."
2: Okay.
0: <laughs> we are Easter people. And alleluia is our song. Let's pray. Gracious God, Lord and giver of life, we... Thank you on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Day. We give you great thanks for the life that we have found through Christ because of your great grace and mercy and unending love. As we stand here on this Easter Day, we are reminded that standing in the light of this day does not eliminate all the shadows in fact the light creates shadows and so we would be reminded that we not in some triumphant way forget the Fridays of our lives and the Fridays of the lives of those around us that we would not minimize our own pain or the pain of those around us, but by your grace we would be willing to enter into their pain with them, alongside of them, just as you have entered our world, our pain, and taken it, it upon yourself. We pray that in the coming days we might truly be Easter people, that we might live the life that you've given to us by your Spirit, that people might see in us a kind of life that's uncommon in the world, that reflects your character and reflects your desires for the world. May we be Easter people, and may our daily lives be a living hallelujah. We pray this through the one who has conquered the grave, conquered death and the fear of death, and the power of death, even Jesus Christ.
2: Amen.
1: Thank you, Phil.